listening to Downworlder Dish, a Shadowhunter Chronicles podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 94, where we will be discussing feminism in the Shadowhunter world. What? What? I'm Kristen. I'm Robin. And Amanda is on leave. And that's it. <laughs> it feels very weird without a third, uh-huh. like, something. <laughs> yep. I agree. So we kind of, we started out with the idea that we were going to talk about feminism in the Shadowhunter books, but I think this discussion has expanded beyond that. And so I'm just popping in to let you guys know that uh, we're going to be, the discussion today is more about feminism, equality, representation, kind of like all wrapped into one because Um, The conversation just kind of went there. So, enjoy. Uh, How was your week? It was okay. It was busy. I'm trying to um, organize and clean my house. Same. Because we both decided yesterday. I'm like, I don't know. Like, I know my house is not dirty. You know, it's Mm -hmm. not. But it feels dirty and I don't like it. Because you have a lot of stuff. There's just no, like... There's no storage space in this dang house. Yeah. Which is annoying. Yeah. But it's built on a budget, I'm assuming. So, you know, what do you do? Right. Right. And obviously the price of wood and like everything's really super expensive right now. So, mm-hmm. although I don't see that coming down again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, probably not. I mean, it, it'll it'll come down a bit. It, it has spiked very high, but it, it'll never go back to where it was. Right. Exactly. That's, that That's not how inflation works. <laughs> right. That ship has sailed. So I'm trying to read. Literally, you. that cargo ship has, ship has sailed. <laughs> but it's not it's unloaded. It's sitting in the port right now. <laughs> yep. I'm trying to do, reorganize with what I have already. Mm-hmm. And getting yep. some, like, we bought some totes to, like. I have a lot of cute, as you know, like chickens and, and a cow and these flowers and uh-huh. stuff. And they're really pretty. But like I told Omar, I'm like, why don't I put those in a box for like spring summer decor? So that way I'm not trying right. to like put up pumpkins and all this stuff in between. Right. Summery spring stuff. Like we have a garage now. Like I think that's why it looks crowded too. Because it's right. like your, your normal home decor stuff's up, and then you're trying to, like, layer the seasonal stuff on top of it, and it's just... Right. It'll and be I'm easy gonna, if you just have buckets that you can be like, oh, okay, I'm going to go switch all this out, put all my other stuff down here, you know? Uh-huh. It's a much more organized kind of... And it makes it easier for you to do those things and, and do for holidays, because I know that you love that stuff. Well, and it's nice, because now it's like I can kind of clean stuff out, like... Right. Start with a blank slate and then clean it through. Like I had a couple busted like decor stuff that like the cat knocked over and then. Right. And we had like organized them so that they were behind other stuff so you couldn't see the damage. I was like, (laughs) do I need this? I got this $3 chicken that's been broken for three years. Do I need this? It's been hiding behind a plant. Does this bring me joy? I probably don't. And then um, we're going to move my desk upstairs. Mm -hmm. Nice. Nice. We're doing the same. Well, okay. I say we. I'm doing the same like I'm just because I work from home Mm -hmm. and 
I just, I don't love the way my setup is. It's just, it doesn't really work for me. It was set up when I thought my job was going to be very paper intensive. Um, so I had this huge L shaped desk to accommodate what I thought I needed. And then I'm like, Oh no, no. thank God I didn't pay for it. My mom just gave it to me because she had multiple desks. Oh, okay. You know, my mom, Uh huh. <laughs> you've seen her office in every home she's ever lived in. Beautiful. It's never unpacked. There's just so much shit. <laughs> but, um, so she gave me that, but like, it doesn't go with anything. It's like an Ikea, like black top, whatever L shaped desk. So I'm moving stuff around. And then I, I just bought this hutch off of Facebook marketplace that I'm going to paint green. <gasps> it's gorgeous. It's so pretty. So I'm, I'm doing a lot of that. And then I'm like upcycling some of our pieces and stuff and moving things around. Yeah. My, my house is in current chaos as well. So yeah, oh, yeah. I'm going to say it always, mine always is. So, okay. So we're doing fall cleaning. Yep. All right. So we got some great feedback from our last episode. So Robin and I have discussed what she has coined the downworlder dish. What was it again? Say it again. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. I'm leaving all of that in. <laughs> Me literally forgetting exactly what Robin said as soon as she said it. Your ADD is kicking in. I love it. Dude, it's so bad. Um, Unscripted. 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 Okay. So Robin and I have discussed that uh, while Amanda is on leave, we're going to continue with this Downworlder Dish Unscripted kind of series where – we have a topic that we're going to talk about, and then we just have a discussion. Um, and so at the end of each episode, we're going to let you know what next week t- next week's topic is. So you can write in to us via Instagram DM, Facebook DM, email. All of that stuff is listed um, in the show notes. So feel free to send us discussion topics, theories, thoughts on um, the topic that we'll be discussing for the following week. I think that would be a great way to engage with our listeners and get um, kind of your opinions. Um, we are going to go over last week's write-ins um, for after our episode. People had some other thoughts, um, things that we asked of you guys to tell us what you thought because, you know, we were, we're all over the place. Listen, we don't know everything and – we, we have stupid thoughts and we don't think about things completely all the time. So we want you guys to join in the discussion so it can be more well-rounded, right? Exactly. What she said. <sighs> what, what I said. Okay. Um, the, the idea kind of stemmed from um, a write-in we got from a listener, Ella, um, asking for a little bit more interaction with these discussion episodes. And we we're like, oh, this is freaking perfect. So that's how that's how we got here, folks. Uh, Wait, uh, before we get started. Yes. yes. Yet again. This is mm-hmm. your spoiler warning. Right. Ooh, shit. I'm sorry. Yes. Spoiler warning. These are spoilery discussions. So, yeah, we'll put it again in the episode title. But yeah, that is all. All right. Um. So the the first one uh is from. Tanya, I I think I'm 
I'm so sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name. Okay, so Tanya wrote in and gave some really good points about Tessa and how after Will left, I mean, and and kind of, you know, we're assuming Charlotte and Henry were gone at this point since they were older or, you know. So Charlotte was at Will's death. Oh, she was. Okay, but she wasn't consul anymore. She was there. Right, but she wasn't consul at this point. No, because she served three years. Okay. As so, console. yeah, she didn't. Or three terms. Sorry. Th- okay. I was going to say three years. That doesn't make sense. Sorry. Okay, three terms. Um, But so so at that point, she wasn't in power in the same way, right? So when, when Will died, um, Tanya said that uh, Tessa was more like, she was more of an outcast, right? Because even, and, and she made a really good point about uh, the... Um, last hour series in that series we see the prejudice that james um and mostly james because of his eyes specifically make him look because he has like almost like a warlock mark eye um or eyes plural we see the prejudice um for his parentage and stuff um so so it's like we know that like people are not super down with Tessa. so i understand that part of like she didn't really have much of a choice like she was more of a hindrance um and then uh tanya art also said that um you know if she would have stayed around the institute as like the quote-unquote ancient family member she'd basically be a dumbledore painting like she wouldn't like she wouldn't have her own life to live right it would just be like she'd be serving other people which i totally get and and kind of goes to the point that we talked about of like the natural cycle of life like Tessa's immortal, but everyone else around her isn't. Mm-hmm. So she has to kind of consider and respect her place in these mortal people's lives. And that like, you know, she's not supposed to be around forever necessarily. And maybe that's more of a hindrance to have a very powerful, you know, family member being around to like fix it. Like that doesn't really give you choice and, and free will to do mm-hmm. what you're going to do it, it doesn't feel like you're you're going to be living up to your potential if there's always a safety net of this magical like person yeah grandma right. that's just like chilling out <laughs> i mean unless like you're like alec and magnus then it's cool right right it's real cool but she had some really good points and, and robin you were gonna say something yeah, and um, she also talked about basically how um, the Shadow Hunters are prejudiced, like against um, Helen and Mark because they're like half day. Mm-hmm. Which obviously, I think some of that is hammered on to the cold piece. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how. Like I think they'd be wary of them in general for being half day, but I don't think it was ever as big of an issue until the cold piece. A hundred percent. Because then everything just kind of went crazy. But I feel like they have that same sort of suspicion and kind of distrust. Yeah. Yeah. With, um, you know, even we see in the infernal devices where they're just starting to have like the way that they were able to get the accords and get kind of Mm -hmm. everyone fighting Valentine's army and stuff is wanting to have an official like elected person on the board. We keep right. wanting to say the UN for some reason, but the a werewolf is going council. to represent werewolves and the vampire are right. going to represent vampires and having somebody on the council, the council. Mm-hmm. Um, but that just started in the infernal devices. So when Tessa 
way back in the day with Will. And I think what I'm missing is TMI. We, you, you said infernal devices. Yeah. Thanks. We we no, know the, no, I that mean we that. say things. Like back in like the last hours area when Will dies. I think is what I'm trying to say. Those those systems of having downwarders being intermingling with shadow hunters was not in place in the area of like the last hours after Will died when Tessa was alone is what I was trying to say. I probably said it stupidly, but that's what I meant. Well, because they, the, yeah, right, right. Because they, they had the accords, but uh-huh. the, the council thing happened in TMI. At right, the end exactly. Of, yeah. And yeah, yeah. we at see at the end of um, the, the Dark Artifices, that crumbles mm-hmm. thanks to Zara mm-hmm. and these other freaking bigot shadow hunters. Right. And we're separate, like we're in two separate factions. So even that was dangling by a thread and it had been, Right. Established. So back when Tessa is alone, I guess the thing for me that's missing is we got a ghost of the shadow market. See, mm-hmm. Like that book. And I, I it's, it's got to be one of my favorite books because I just love the way it spans and kind of touches on everything. And that's yep. in Jim's point of view. What we don't get is any follow up on Tessa apart from when he meets her at Blackfriars Bridge or those certain times when they come into contact with each other. Because to me, it's like I wouldn't expect Tessa just kind of like live in a mother-in-law house (laughs) at James's either. But portals are invented and it's so easy for her to travel and to be involved in somebody's life because it's like, oh, let me just portal over for Sunday dinner and then I'll move back on to the spiral labyrinth. I'm not convinced that that didn't happen. I know. I just want it to be canon. Oh, okay. You want to see it in writing. I want to see, see it. You like, a Herondale Christmas after Will's dead, her uh-huh. coming to, like, visit the grandchildren. And maybe that's in the works after um, mm-hmm. the last hours. I don't know. But I, I need that for my soul is what I'm trying well, to say. And, and what I would like to know is at what point she stopped having contact. Was it with Stephen Herondale? Because his, because like for what we know, yeah, major spoilers for what we know, Stephen Herondale's the only real like evil Herondale we've had. Uh-huh. And he wasn't, I mean, misguided, what, whatever. He made bad choices, like very bad choices. Well, and all of our like beloved, which you think of then parental figures, but they're fucking our age, which is disgusting but whatever right yeah you know, i know luke made bad choices jocelyn made bad choices steven made bad choices like right steven just died for his right exactly and jocelyn and luke were able even. to live long enough to yeah they were able to live long enough to realize the uh-huh. error of their ways right right so it's not like he um, was yeah but maybe no yeah, maybe yeah. she got disgusted with him Right, like at what I want to know at what point did did she let go? Because one thing that uh, Tanya did mention was um, that I think the Herondales knew, like were still very aware that they had a warlock in their bloodline. Uh-huh. It was just the rest of the clave just doesn't talk about it, right? So like, right. but we didn't. Jace, we didn't know he was a Herondale, and Imogen died before she could pass on any familial information or like lore or whatever Uh uh-huh so that that would be where that disconnect is is where like we wouldn't know and maybe she and tessa did sorry tessa did come around when she found out that jace was a herondale so that makes me wonder like what did she play any role in steven's life Uh uh-huh well and then obviously 
Jace didn't know about the warlock thing because he didn't know he was a Herondale. Right, exactly. But, so, but, like, maybe Imogen knew. And, like you said, she died before she got a chance to tell him because right. they have the, um, obviously, that birth birthmark is right. from Ethereal. Right. And that's passed down, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, because Tessa has the same one, right? Doesn't Tessa have the same mark? I don't think so. Because when she, okay. Because her her angel was on Will's shoulder. Um, Clary has one and Jace has one because they both have uh, angel blood. But I think Jace would have had one anyway because he was a Herondale. I gotcha. I th- I think because Jocelyn has one too because she she drank the powdered uh-huh. blood, but I think and I don't think it's an Smoothie. angel mark. I think it's specific <laughs> to that ethereal. But I don't know. That's my guess. Really? Oh, I thought it was. Well, that would make sense because ethereal was the the angel that was in Tessa's clockwork angel, right? Uh huh. Yeah. I don't know. That's just what I guess. Yeah. Well, I, I guess we, we haven't encountered any other angels to be able to verify. Mm-hmm. So. And I think that's good points to remember about the prejudice. I think it's a good For prejudice. Sure. I don't know why I said it like that. It, uh, it does play a big role. I, mm-hmm. I, I see that. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I want, I want the story. I want the story of Tessa coming yeah. over for Christmas with her grandchildren and, you know, potentially like popping in and out because if it's, Will died what year? Do you remember? Uh, 37. That's what I thought, too. Um, And it's like we have the infernal. No, the moral instruments is 2007, right? Yeah. I mean, that's not like that far removed from then. No, it's it's, really not. It's really not. I mean. What? That's so Stephen's dad. 70 years. And if you're thinking two generations, Stephen's dad, isn't that, wouldn't that be like one, either James, James's Marcus, isn't that his kid? Um, hold on. Let me look it up. I think it's one more removed. Cause 1980, cause I'm assuming Stephen is born in the sixties, right? Eighties, the eighties. Hold on. on. I just want to know. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, Carsdale, Herondales. Okay, James Herondale had Owen Her- Herondale, who had Marcus Herondale. So uh, James was Marcus's grandfather, um, uh-huh. therefore Stephen's great-grandfather. Right, but you would think, like, I-, I see my grandparents all the time. My grandma just went to my kid's soccer game, and she's yeah, so still... Owen was Sorry, o- Owen, it says on this. Now, we have to take this with a grain of salt because we know that this might, the dates might not be completely true. Uh-huh. Owen was born in 1912 and lived until 1971. Marcus was born in 1943, so after Will died. Uh-huh. Um, and he died in 1991. And then Stephen Herondale was born in 1966, and he died in 1991. Because to me, I would feel like she would have a direct connection with Owen, who lived until the 70s, right? 
That's what it said. Yeah. Potentially. Yeah, for sure. Because mm-hmm. that's legit. Like, that's her grandchild. Right. And so, so Owen lived until 71, which would have put Stephen at five years old. Mm-hmm. Do you think he would have and, met her instead of... And Mark... Yeah. Right. Right. Or, or very... And, you know, it might be Marcus might have been the asshole. Because we don't really know anything about Marcus. And we know that Imogen was kind of a shitty person, but we knew that that, that was cold. She was... She's described as being colder after the death of her son. Uh-huh, so we don't yeah. know what she was like before. Um, and, and we don't know really what Marcus was like. So maybe Marcus is who caused that riff. Right. Well, between... and maybe obviously I could see her not wanting to be involved in, with Steven if he's like downworlders scum because she's half a freaking downworlder. Right. Right. But but yeah, I I wonder if if their if their kind of severing of ties happened before Stephen was ever in the circle. I just want to know. I wonder if that's, that's what it is. Yeah, I do too. Mm-hmm. I do too. Well, I also I want a full novella about the fucking circle. I want all the stories of all the people that were in the circle. Like I want to know what is up with them. Mm-hmm. Tell me more. Give me some punk rock '80s shadow hunters. I'm here for it. Some juicy, juicy details. Juicy, juicy. So our community question from last week uh, in our Facebook group, we got a couple of responses. Both of them kind of uh, said the same thing, that they think it's more of like a technical um, reason why Tessa wasn't super, um, people didn't really know about her, is because, one, you had to kind of hide that from the prequel series, right? Because they that came out after, so you couldn't really know the ending necessarily. Um, and you know, she was writing. Cassie was writing TID towards the late later end of TMI, and so, you know, of course that couldn't have happened. So that was more of a technicality. And and then I think uh, Tanya did a really good job of uh, filling in how that fits into the narrative in terms of the shadow hunters being really prejudiced against Tessa and all, all that stuff. So I think we covered those questions. I think we did that really well. Let's get, shall we get into today's topic? We should. So we wanted to take a look at the link between the representation of female characters in, in these books um, and kind of our societal views of, of feminism and, and how we live our lives in the, in the thought process that we have. Um, for me personally, feminism is, you know, about equality, right? It's, it's about equality for everybody, no matter gender, you know, it's, it's very much like everyone should be kind of represented in an authentic way that isn't, um, when, specifically when it comes to literature, I don't want female characters to be re- represented through necessarily a male gaze in terms of what society has said that like women look, you know, behave like and, and these kind of constraints that are really just stereotypes, mm-hmm. right? Um, and historically, we've seen that women have been used, like, have you ever heard the, the term like fridging? So fridging is when like I think it was a I think it was a Spider-Man comic or a Batman comic or something. Um but 
this female's role was she was the girlfriend of the superhero and she got immediately killed um, and stuffed in a refrigerator, right? And so her entire purpose in the narrative was not to have a, a, a personality of her own, not to be um, a well-rounded character that, you know, motivated the story or moved the plot. Her, She was specifically created as a device to affect the protagonist, which was the, the male superhero or, or what have you, right? So the idea that, like, women in literature should be as fully fleshed out as their male counterparts. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when we're talking about feminism in, in literature, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a book that gives enough, the same weight and time to all of their characters, regardless of, of gender in terms of like, you know, if it's a throwaway character, it's a throwaway character, but let's not have, you know, manic pixie dream girl girlfriend who has no story and no point and is just there to make the protagonist feel better like that's not i'm not into that so for me feminism is just equality right i just i just want to see equal representation and when we kind of dig into like specifically where i want to go um with this discussion is the characters and how they're represented and is that beneficial or harmful does it you know perpetuate stereotypes that we're we're looking to grow out of Mm -hmm. as a society um and thinking about how that affects like cognitively as we're reading what messaging is that sending to to our reader but anyway sorry that was very rambly i love it I mean, I also, obviously, feminism and literature agree with everything you're saying and even more. You mm-hmm. said even more than my brain can, like, process. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing that we should look at when we're doing this is just, I think that um, literature is powerful for people who mm-hmm. um, might not have those influences around them daily. So, for me, my mom was very women's rights uh-huh. She's if you, anything a man can do, you can do it just as good. Blah blah. But she's very much, you know, we don't do the. Mm-hmm. Those are toy. You can't play with trucks, or you have to wear a dress, or you have right. to do this. So I grew up with those, you know, things being said to me all the time, and I have that mindset. People don't always grow up in the same situation as other people, so messaging in books yep. is also important in that. So for me, for instance, Jocelyn, starting. The steps that she takes to protect her child, Clary, Mm -hmm. and breaking away from an abusive relationship, like those are female empowerment. And that's important. And getting that message out through books that way is also, you know, something that's started, like you were saying, started kind of small in Shadowhunters. And then it's just, I feel like as each book came out, she got more like the ball rolling downhill to like a hundred percent help elevate and give a platform and recognize groups of people that have been what am I trying to say (sighs) underrepresented yes thank you yeah not that women have been underrepresented but strong female characters are hard to find competent complete well well well-rounded 
characters yep. who are authentic are uh-huh. very hard to find. Yeah. Um, and and I think it's it's a really good point um, that you make. Like, yeah, looking at it from both sides of just like, okay, how is this character represented? Um, and then also how is this character's actions messaging, you know, positive or, or, or negative, mm-hmm. you know, to our reader. And then also taking a look at like, these books started coming out in 2007. Like we've done a lot of progression like socially since uh-huh. then. Yep. Th- there's been a lot of growth and, and we have talked about it in some of the earlier books, like certain things that like off the cuff things that were said were like, yeah, I would have said that in high school, but like now I know better. Exactly. Right? Because we've evolved and, and changed. So this is certainly not like a rag on Cassie, But I think it's a really good point that we're starting out with TMI because there's a lot of toxic female stereotypes in the TMI series um, and conflict that isn't really um, healthy. Now, some of it's a little bit realistic, but like, you know, as as we've discussed when we when we covered the first three books, there's there's some there's some red flags there. Right. Right. But I think it's important to take a look at how much growth over the series that we've seen mm-hmm. and that like as a writer, you can change and develop and also consider that, you know, when you're starting out, you know, her first published, you know, fantasy kind of like big whatever, when you're starting out as a writer personally and you're being published by a publishing house, you don't have a lot of power. So some things get changed in editing that you might not like or might not have been the direction you're going, but it was trying to sell, right? Like, cause there, there is some of that in there. I'm not saying I, I have no idea what her agreement with her editors were from the first book or, or whatever, but uh-huh. as, but what I do know is that as an author, when you gain, you know, obviously she's a selling author. Every book that comes out is on, you know, the bestsellers list, right? Uh-huh. So as she's gone through this series, she's gained, because of her popularity, she's gained a lot more leeway as an author. Creative control. She can pretty much do whatever the fuck she wants, and her editors aren't going to be able to push back on her, right? Like, because... I'm I'm sorry like you don't you don't run the ship anymore now that I'm 17 books in, you know, 17 bestsellers in, right? Right. <laughs> but in the beginning, I could see how and and I think some of this uh some of the stuff and I don't know how much of that is how much of TMI was you know new not new writer. I mean, she she had been a writer for a while, but you know like new series who dis right like you're just starting out and then as you grow because writers just get better the more that they write so mm-hmm. i don't really know well, how much of i know of we brought it up what, in, but sorry i can't remember what episode of ours we brought it up in but you like i had a first i don't think it's a first edition but a newer edition of city mm-hmm. of bones mm-hmm. and you had the kendall edition and it's yeah. like i'm trying to explain this fact this fact in the book that's saying you know, Izzy can't cook because um, they Maris doesn't want her in the kitchen because shadow hunter women just have to stay in the kitchen. And hers right. is the first generation that they've been able to train and fight and stuff, which obviously was scrubbed from the record because it of was, the infernal yeah. devices. And I think it's funny potentially to like dog on somebody like, oh, you can't cook. 
But when you're saying it's that equality thing, like, can Jace cook? Like, are we not like, okay, cool, mm-hmm. then you try it. You know, but it is that kind of like misogynistic, like, mm-hmm. oh, it just falls to Izzy because, you know, but like Julian's in there making, like, Emma's not the one making dinner, breakfast. Mm-hmm. Julian's doing that. And I think, I think the joke on Izzy is that she just keeps fucking trying and nobody wants her to. Right. Like, why are you trying to cook? Like, nobody is asking for this. <laughs> We're actively asking you not to do this. Please stop. Well, and right. they, so I think it flips that expectation. Uh-huh. So, so first let's, okay, first let's, let's handle the, uh, the scrub from the record part. Right. I remember us going, wait, what? And we had to like pull them out to look at them. Cause I was like, how, what? But yeah, they absolutely scrubbed it from the record. And I think specifically because TID was coming out. Uh-huh. Right, like she was planning on 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 writing this prequel, and that wouldn't work if none of the females were allowed to do anything. So, so I wonder if maybe that that line was because you know was written right, you know, when she was just figuring this out and just uh-huh. trying to like create a fun story, and then she's like, "Wait a minute, that kind of paints me into a corner." Well, the thing is, too, that piece of information defines Izzy's characteristics as a person. So it, it gives does. her that drive. It gives her that, like, she's got two older brothers. She's going to prove herself. She's going to be the best. And she can still do all those things. She has without... an older and a younger. Oh, is she two younger? older brothers? Oh, duh. I meant. Oh. Yeah. She does you not have Max. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that makes a lot of sense, what you just said. And I have never thought about that, is that line does define who Izzy is and which is why her her personality does not make sense to all of that being because her dad cheated on her mom Mm -hmm. and what you just said all of that personality makes sense if that was the case so I wonder if we lost a little bit of Izzy's real motivations and that's why her character it's not that Izzy feels flat necessarily I just feel like we've never really gotten to know her because the explanation for why she is the way she is doesn't really make sense to me it's never really it just it didn't feel complete Mm -hmm. felt like there, there had to have been some other thing that caused her to be like this and and that would make sense you just made me have a revelation moment I agree well, to me, Jocelyn's character is always like, I feel like Clary has the influence of Jocelyn in yes. that sort of, I mean, she has a ton of freedom, I think, personally. Oh, yeah. In the sense of like New York City at 15 at night, like just walking right. around here, go for it. Hang out. Right. Like she trusts her. She has that freedom and stuff. Obviously, she's done other morally gray things like erase her memory and keep her past from right. her. Well, okay. And- and I am the first to have a problem with Jocelyn. We know this. Uh-huh. I, I get real annoyed. Um, but I think given the circumstances that Jocelyn had, I understand why she in it, like why she took the action she took. And how things leap over. So like for instance, mm-hmm. I'm thinking up until Charlotte was So Charlotte was able to co-head the London Institute with Henry. Uh-huh. And obviously we know from her 
I was going to say argument. I guess you could call it an argument. After the reigning consul, Consul Wayland, mm-hmm. comes and tells her, like, you got two weeks to find Mortmain. We know that there's no pretense here that Henry's doing anything. And there's no pretense right. for the rest of the London enclave either. They all know it's Charlotte. Mm-hmm. So that sort of what she's able to do gets her to become elected as the first female consul. Right. But we've also discussed and we know that shadow hunters get paid a stipend based on what they do. So if mm-hmm. and positions of power get paid more money, right, than other positions, which means that there's a definite disconnect between what the women shadow hunters are getting paid and what the male counterparts are getting paid if they're not on elected officials uh, and in elected positions so regardless even though all rangers are paid xyz the idea that at at charlotte's time during charlotte's time women weren't allowed to um, rise or, or ascend to the levels um, that the male counterparts were. So then, ipso facto, they were paid less. Uh huh. Makes sense. But they're still gotcha. they're still trained. less opportunity for uh, greater wealth. Right, and they're still trained. They're still expected to go into battle. They're still expected to potentially die to help save humans. They're all expected to have the same. The things that make a shadow hunter a shadow hunter are. The ability to, like, the angelic blood, the ability mm-hmm. to take runes, and then, you know, you're trained to, like, basically stop right. demons from attacking. Those three basic right. things are what make a shadow hunter a shadow hunter. And in that sense, the women are treated the same way the men are in that, that they all mm-hmm. go do those things. They're all expected to, yeah. Yep. Unless you're Jessamine. <laughs> anyway. <gasps> Unless you're Jessamine and they're just like, we just can't deal with you. But on that flip side of that anything that has to do with political power or making decisions for the whole enclave or the whole mm-hmm. positions in Alicante women aren't in those positions that societal umbrella still caps them of you know uh, a man has to do it or you know right. any of these other things so they're de facto paid less and I think that they're still in that point where they're making marriages to better your family's standing mm-hmm. you know because you have oh for sure uh-huh we, so, we see that come into play with the last hours uh-huh that you know the, it's this be and and we did we did talk about that part of this might be contributed to the fact that there's such little demon activity in london mm-hmm. over the past you know 20 years or whatever that at this time you know they they had just kind of become absorbed into um the society the victorian society and what matters in society because they're not necessarily fighting as much so their cult their warrior culture had kind of like taken a back burner to like the the fun exciting victorian society that they were living in because there wasn't really much to do in terms of fighting shadows uh-huh well and then you get (laughs) you get um tessa's character point of view coming in as an outsider to that and obviously we've talked about it we're in the depths of that so we don't need to hit on it a ton but just oh my god pants and oh my god i can't believe that she's doing this or this or this or this and those you know those things kind of hit 
mm-hmm. and you get to see that. And then Jessamine's a whole nother beast because right. she was raised to be a lady and ladies don't do those things. But yet she still does it. Right. Because she still has her instinctive abilities. Like she doesn't even really like she doesn't work out all the time. But like even Tessa noticed like her muscles are like she's ripped. Right. But that's just like genetics. Right. <laughs> You're like wouldn't that be nice? Can I be a Nephilim? Well, like genetics thing- just do it for me. <laughs> Dude for real. The thing on that, too, is so when we get to remember the meeting that um, the kids are eavesdropping into, like basically with the uh-huh. invisible ears and yeah. Henry bursts in. Uh-huh. Pa- the, a big part of that meeting is Charlotte's running it. And Henry's late, obviously. But Lillian mm-hmm. Highsmith is making her opinions. She's talking. She's an active member. She's, you know, mm-hmm. and nobody has a problem with it. Yeah, I don't think, I think in that world, because Charlotte would have never been able to co-run an institute, like, in falsehood, like, everybody fucking knew what was going on. Mm -hmm. If they didn't have some sort of, like, equality, um, like, if, if their culture did not view women as necessarily equal, right? Like, we see that, um, you know, Benedict and Wayland are like, oh, women are too emotional, whatever. But at the same time, they, I mean, th- they'll go into battle with women. So, mm-hmm. so it's like th- they trust them to a-, a certain extent that is is far greater than what, like, mundane society did at that time. Mm-hmm. But there was a limit. And, and, and that limit was power. Right? Uh-huh. So it's like, yeah, she can be part of the, the conversation. She's old she's been fighting for a long time she has a lot of wisdom but we're not gonna let her be the end of the like we're not gonna let her run things because she's a woman right so it it does feel like there was this very like fine line and I wonder how much of that was because Highsmith was rich because I do feel like money played a much larger part in all of that like like if you were a rich woman it it was a lot easier to have your voice heard than if you were poor mm-hmm. right so I wonder if it, it was like it's not just a one thing or the other I feel like it was more nuanced which I really like because that feels more realistic to me uh-huh. that yeah some women had higher stature based on them being individuals right because uh-huh. they didn't see all women exactly the same well, and even you see, like, Sophie as a character. Not even, I guess this isn't necessarily having to do with feminism, but whatever. Mm-hmm. You see her basically like she's a parlor maid. And then mm-hmm. as soon as, like, her face gets disfigured, like, she's too ugly to work anymore. And mm-hmm. Charlotte takes her in. But it's like, I feel like regardless of all of that... Charlotte is treating her staff better because Mm -hmm. she knows what it's like to be a person that's, you know, wants more and and is trying to get ahead. And so she's able to, like, treat them with more respect, regardless of it being a shadow hunter or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she has empathy. And she's like, well, okay, like, yeah, you work for me, but that doesn't mean that I need to treat treat you like crap because I'm a kind person. And that's Mm -hmm. not... 
she doesn't get her rocks off by belittling other people to make herself feel big. Right. Well, and the thing, like I was saying, we started to, we were going to do this episode a lot more structured and then we decided we just wanted to make a discussion. So that's what happened. Right. But sorry, guys. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I'm saying it's okay for everybody. So um, there you go. Mm-hmm. When we were, we, when I was researching Charlotte, um, I don't know why this never clicked in my brain until mm-hmm. I read it. So, and I was just reading the Shadowhunter wiki, but her kids... Charles Buford and Matthews last name is Fairchild yes it is so Henry and her just had a discussion I'm assuming and decided to name their kids their mother's last name Fairchild Mm -hmm. because she held the position as consul of of, you know of power and she was able to have kids and still be consul which is cray Mm -hmm. awesome but like talk about bitch I do what I want progressive feminism like way to go Henry Mm-hmm. Although I do have a head cannon. I do like in my head and I hope this never gets confirmed or n- denied because like I'm just happy with it being in my head that Charlotte was so against Charles Buford that Henry was like, I've got it. We're going to name our first Charles Buford, but I'll give him your last name because you're consul. And that was like his bargaining chip. He was like, I don't give a fuck. He's like, you're you're the fucking council, the, the consul. I'll take Fairchild. Like, he's like, I don't care. Because Henry just doesn't care. Like mm-hmm. none of that stuff has ever seemed to bother or concern him. Mm-hmm. He just loves his wife and his work. And that's all he wants. Right. That's what makes him you happy. Know? But yeah, my headcanon was that was their discussion is when he was like so adamant that their firstborn be named Charles Buford. And she's like, we're not fucking naming our kid that. That was the that was the <laughs> that was the deciding factor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it also honestly, there is a black mark in my brain about the big details of the infernal devices, as we've discussed. Um, right. So to me, the where we're at in the regular podcast going from. Mm-hmm. Gideon, Gabriel, fucking Gabriel, being the mm-hmm. way he is, to him yeah. having a daughter with Cecily. Yeah. That they're like, oh, you want to you you want to dress like a man? Great. Let me buy you the clothes. Yep. Like, stop wearing fucking hand-me-downs. Like, what are you doing? Like, come on. You're going to look fly. <laughs> We're going right. to do this. <laughs> right. You look like trash and not because of the cut of the clothes you're wearing. It's because they're literally burned to singes because your brother is a fucking pyro. Like, <laughs> let's get you some real clothes. <laughs> like him going from like the way he is as we're at right now. Like talk about a character arc. Well, and I think, you know, I, I, I know we're talking about necessarily feminism, but I, I, I think that. Feminism is for everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Like, not just cisgender females, right? Like, uh-huh. it's for everybody. And I think that while Gabriel was a pompous asshole because his dad, like, trained him to be, mm-hmm. you know, and he was very, everything he did felt very like reactive and defensive mm-hmm. right so like every time like he was being normal and then will would say something snotty and then he'd be on the offensive again yep you know and 
I think it's really interesting. I don't think we've gotten to it yet in no, we haven't gotten to it because Cecily hasn't come yet. But when Cecily shows up, Gabriel's the only one that's like, let her, she's a shadow hunter. Let her do what she wants to do. And Will's like, oh, it's my sister. And then even Jem and Tessa are kind of like, oh, she's 15. Like, you know, she doesn't have any training. And Gabriel's like, she doesn't need fucking training. Like, I think his nature has always been kind of like, I don't like shadow hunters are shadow hunters. Right. Like, cause even when he was saying shit about like Jem, like he was never really mean about Jem. Like he'd say his condition, but that's because that's what his dad said. Right. Mm-hmm. But like, even though he would, he never, the only reason he hated Charlotte was because he hated Will. Let's be honest. And like, it was by proxy and his dad didn't like Charlotte. So like, he's like, okay. But like really all of his shitty behavior was pretty direct to will and then charlotte by proxy when his dad wanted him to do something right like everything else he was nice to tessa he was kind to sophie like he was never really that much of an asshole it just felt like will put him on edge to where he had to put up the facade of an asshole i don't think i think he was just really lonely and wanted friends yeah well and um so I think with with Cecily coming in and being like, yeah, you don't have to be an asshole. And you know Cecily would keep him on his toes. Mm-hmm. I feel like he would come into that naturally. I think that would be his natural progression. Uh-huh. You know, being nurtured by someone who isn't a fucking worm. Literally. Literally. <laughs> Literally a worm. But I do I do really appreciate in the infernal devices how much the men in our group like yeah we know benedict says some pretty stupid shit and you know Wayland says a lot of stupid shit but our group of institute people including gideon and gabriel i i appreciate how like very much well i like the culture of shadow hunters is very like We're just shadow hunters. Like, it doesn't matter if you wear Mm -hmm. a dress normally. Like, you're going to be in here kicking ass regardless. Right. Yeah. Well, then I can't think of an instance once we get, like, and that, when you were talking about just kind of like a throwaway character or Mm -hmm. a female that's only written to, like, I can't think of anybody offhand that's... Mm -hmm characters written like that now it, i'm not saying that women can't write those characters they absolutely mm-hmm. can obviously yeah i think it's just it's more common with with male authors to write throw away female mm-hmm. and now i i think it's becoming less common because it, people are more aware of it right it's it's just you know you look back in whatever it is if it's if it's not geared specifically towards women generally it's geared towards men right Uh there's there's very few things that are geared towards all well and it's like it's nice to have i'm trying to think because obviously i'm sure if i would have done more research like i was planning on doing it's nice to have and obviously it's a little bit easier because we're in a, a a fictional world that has demons and other things that can be Mm -hmm. 
the scary obstacles in the way but it's kind of like having a book that's written uh, you know about the main character is a person of color and you know it's an it's refreshing that they have other things that can go wrong in their life besides just having to deal with race like there can be Uh other issues there can be other points you know there can be other things going on that's like you know i when we were growing up in like it was definitely we were hyper focused on um like lgbtq rights Right. Like Uh that was that was our generation's kind of like thing. Gay marriage was a huge thing when we were in middle school and high school. And like it's really what got a lot of us into politics in the first place, because in Oregon, it was up when when we were in high school. So and they voted no. Right. Yeah. Right. So it was it was it was a big deal and it was on the forefront of everybody's minds. Um, Oh, God, where was I going? I had a good point. Hold on. Oh, um, and so, you know, there was a lot of push for more representation in media and, you know, slowly we, we got shows and stuff and, you know, cause in the nineties it was like the gay character was always the butt of a joke. So, so I'm, I'm specifically talking about, um, the, the LGBTQ community and, and that part, because it's, it's what I am most familiar with in terms of, um, like the progression of what of what that looked like, you know, in increasing um, visibility in media and and stuff like that. We saw, you know, in the '90s with Ellen in the early '90s, you know, and as the '90s progressed, you know, the gay character was usually like a one, like a one and done, right? Like a one episode, two episode arc. It was a joke that like the main character, the main cast character, um, you know, thought that this person thought they were gay. Like Chandler thought someone thought Chandler was gay at work. Like it's Mm -hmm. a butt of a joke. Right. But it was getting the word gay was on fucking, you know, TV. Right. Uh It was like one, one like ax pick, ice pick, like up. And then you slip a little because it was like, you know, it was the butt of the joke. Right. And it took very many, many years to start seeing authentic representation. Uh-huh. And then when, I mean, when we started seeing a lot of it, it was all like the horrifying coming out story. And it was always like, you, you know, it, it was always, it was always the same. It was like, it was a different version of the same story that we kept seeing. And it was like, oh, it's got to be this hard thing. And like. Whenever there was a gay character, their main problem was being gay, right? Mm-hmm. And that was, like, the primary focus of every um, conflict or whatever. It was it was their gayness was the problem that needed to be solved or what have you. And we're finally starting to get into media where we can just have a fucking gay character. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be about a coming out story. Now, I'm not saying that those stories aren't important to tell. They absolutely are. But I am ready for like a fucking something with like someone who's bisexual, who doesn't have to explain that they're bisexual. Can we just let it be like, can, can people, can we just let people be like, do we have to like come out to every fucking person we meet? Like, does it always have to be the topic of conversation? Can I just be a human? And Mm -hmm. I think, 
I think we're getting to that place. Um, and as the Shadow Hunters books have progressed, like obviously we started out in TMI and being gay was a big issue for Alec. It was a it was something he had to overcome in in terms of like he had to overcome how he was gonna tell people, how he was gonna fit into this society that like for all accounts has been very like heteronormative, right? So that was that was his his main conflict. And then once he got over that, now it can just be Alec and he can just be who he is. And as we've gone through the books, now in TDA, people are just who they are. Like uh-huh. we don't have to go through this and it doesn't have to be like the primary like I love that the primary problem for Mark, Kieran, and uh, Christina was, like, lying and betrayal and not about, like, oh, I'm confused because I I like Kieran, but I also like Christina, and what is that? Like, he didn't care. He's a fairy. He doesn't give a fuck. He's like, I like who I like. Uh-huh. Like, you know, <laughs> like, whatever. Which I appreciate that, like, we got to focus on something else that's, a different conflict that can happen in the same situation. It's just, it, you know, it, it's just a different thing. It doesn't, it can be something that's more universal and doesn't have to be so specific to, you know, cause it did feel for me anyways, and especially like watching older stuff with my daughter now mm-hmm. and, and seeing it through the lens of not a kid in 1998 you know, but seeing it through the lens of an adult in 2021 and going, oh, all right. Like, it kind of feels like the whole purpose of having the primary conflict be that this person is gay is to, like, punish the person for being gay. Right? In in the narrative. Right? The underlying, like, does this go with the narrative that being gay is hard and weird and not something you want to, like, be? Right? Whereas it's like, okay, but like being a human is hard and weird and conflicting. Uh So being able to see specifically LGBTQ plus characters having just normal fucking problems that don't have anything to do with their sexuality feels more normal to me in the terms of like, okay, we're finally past this like underlying like bullshit uh-huh. that's been in these in these narratives like that that like kind of like puritan-esque like film of you should be ashamed of yourself you know like i just well even we just like treat people normally well you're talking about alec and tmi yeah right you go back now in time in the story to the last hours but obviously forward as we've progressed here and it's right. like with Matthew nobody mm-hmm. bats an eye they're like oh this is just right. something about Matthew that is Matthew yeah. because it doesn't have to be a story and and it doesn't have to be about mm-hmm. it because society now has changed so then in the book right. it's able to just kind of be like they just kind of touch on it everyone's just like oh okay cool right it it definitely doesn't make a whole lot of sense for the time frame narrative uh-huh. but it does make sense for the publication time frame exactly time frame n- narrative exactly yeah now i will say that 
Edwardian, Victorian and Edwardian era, sexuality wasn't something that people really discussed. Yep. And so pretty much everything happened behind closed doors and no one really said, especially when, okay, we're talking about rich people here because everybody in the last hours is rich, right? Yep. By London's standards. But when it come to, when it came to rich people, like what you did was no one else's business. Like no, no one talked about it because it was a taboo subject in the first place. So no one wants to know, like, I feel like older, like rich people could just, you know, and do whatever without consequence sorry no um so matthew names his dog he names his dog oscar wilde Mm -hmm. and oscar wilde is a poet Mm -hmm. who gets arrested right and thrown in jail yes for having an affair right because he was married with a man and then he right. dies from that imprisonment because he gets sick in prison. No, he he died in 1990, 1900. So he was oh, not. Okay, so so he had just yeah. Okay, but Oscar Wilde was also known as like everybody knew that he was gay. I mean, he wrote a picture of Dorian Gray. Like it's it was uh huh a very open secret, right? It's just people didn't talk about it, and there is. I think there's more there's there's certainly more to the story of why he was arrested. But yeah, so I I wonder if I just I love that tribute in the last hours is what I was trying to yes. say. Yes. I do love that. Well, mm-hmm. and he talks about he talks about Oscar Wilde all the time. He's mm-hmm. like his his like idol or whatever. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I think it's interesting that um fuck I lost my thought. God damn it. Oh, no. I think that homophobia in and of itself, like, yes, there were laws back then, but I think it's gotten to be a much, like, it it became much more aggressive and in the forefront of people's minds later in history, in more of our modern times. Because I think before it was like, people just didn't talk about sex right and it was uh-huh. just like it, it was just something you didn't talk about and then like yeah like they had these laws but no one really enforced them like unless you were blatantly caught like uh-huh it was it was more like keep your business it to yourself to and everything will be aunts fine that are roommates right yeah boston a boston marriage to two females two unmarried females who just share they're just companions they just uh-huh. share expenses like, right yeah okay right okay if that makes you sleep better at night okay sorry sidebar have you watched gentleman jack uh-uh. oh my god it's about ann lister who's like this super famous like she was like a uh she was a landowner, right? Back when like women weren't really landowners. Um, and she kept diaries of like all of her exploits. She was like this like hot to trot lesbian. She was fucking everybody's wife. That's so funny. <laughs> she, like she kept like detailed records of like everything. Gentleman Jack, it's a great, great show. And it's okay. pretty short. It's okay. Fantastic. Anyway, I want sorry. to keep this discussion going. It just to me, it's like I can't talk about equal rights without, yeah, hitting all equal rights. So I know it's not necessarily feminine. No, I agree. But... 
So we okay. So you know we've kind of jumped around here a bit. I did want to make a like have bring up something very specific. Drusilla Blackthorn. She is our first, our first plus size character. Uh huh. Unless you want to count Maya. Um, Maya was pretty much our first um, character of color. Uh huh. Right? Introduced. Um, and she's introduced as curvy, which she's been the only character thus far that has been not just like super skinny right uh-huh. um to me that felt like you're feeding into a stereotype like it, it felt like a cop out to me quote unquote curvy i just feel like we could have done better uh-huh i don't know it didn't feel great to me so by the time drusilla came around i was like fucking thank god i adore drusilla i mm-hmm. love that we get to explore her her own insecurities because it feels so real. And that is a real representation of what a teenage girl who is overweight feels like. Because the entirety of everyone around you, like for me specifically, like I've never been skinny ever. I, I haven't always been as as uh, robust in in the thighs as I am currently, but <laughs> you know, um, but growing up, I you know my mom is a very small woman, like very very thin, very petite, and everyone in my family pretty much was you know thin, and I was the fat one. So like I got. When, when I read about Drusilla and the way she was thinking, like, well, you know, Helen's perfect and, you know, and I'm just this weird, like, person over here feeling uncomfortable in my own skin, you know. Well, and I think it's just even being in that position where, like, I know this is toxic and it's fine mm-hmm. that it's toxic because it's my brain mm-hmm. and it's, like I said, sometimes there's like this voice in the back of your head. Every well, and being time aware I'm, of your own toxicity, you know, right? That's important. I walk into a room and I have to decide if I'm the biggest person in that room. Mm. So for me, Drusilla, that's that sort of mentality is in her head all the time because she mm-hmm. doesn't look like anybody else. Yep, that she is with, and it's not like she's you know. 16 and going to the shadow market and seeing all these people that you know she doesn't know and um going to school and potentially seeing other kids at school that kind of look like her like she's at the institute she's stuck with her brothers and sisters yeah people come to visit but it's like clary and and jace and and izzy and and all these people that don't look like her right and and they're all like they're not there for her. She's 13. Uh-huh. So she's right. she's at that age where she wants to be seen as more of an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone still just kind of lumps her in with Tavi as a child. And so uh-huh. when people are coming, like they're not they're not interacting with her as, you know, 
oh, Drusilla. You, you know, it's, it's, oh yeah, hi, Drusilla. Nice to meet you. And then they're moving on with like the important shit. And, and so the only people in her circle are her family. And then those people that are very like briefly interacting, not really interacting with her. And so the first person that like, and so she's just in her head, right? She's making up all of this stuff in her head to like, be like, I'm not like them. And then watching TV, which we all know the media is horrible for a young woman's self-confidence well, and, and body honestly, image. Honestly, also, she is addicted to horror movies and horror movies com- right. objectify women bad. Absolutely. For the most part. Absolutely. So, yeah, Absolutely. that could be feeding in to uh-huh. this, you know, negative self-doubt, self, self-loathing, um, you know, just lack of confidence that she's experiencing. So she doesn't go to regular school. She doesn't interact with people her age. She only interacts with these people. And then the first person she meets is Jaime. And Jaime doesn't like, like doesn't blink an eye at her size or like even mention anything. Like it's, it's not even a thing. And she was like, someone could like me as a human and not like, because she's not, she doesn't interact with people and no one gives her the time of day because uh-huh. she's, you know, what, fifth of seven or, or you know, sixth of seven or, or whatever it is. Like she gets lost by the wayside and, and, and she feels seen and like, obviously they're playing the friendship thing because he's much older, but mm-hmm. I feel like. It was her first, I feel like this is just like the beginning of as her world expands and as people get to know Drusilla for who Drusilla is, she's going to realize that like, oh wait, like my weight really like has nothing to do with it. Like, I feel like that's where her growth is going to be. What I really don't want is for her to hit a growth. Cassie, are you listening to me? If she hits a fucking growth spurt and gets skinny I will stop reading the Shadowhunters books. Cause like that just pisses me off. Like, no, she doesn't have to be like, look like me and sh- fighting shadows. Like, obviously you're going to work out, mm-hmm. but don't like, don't do that whole like fat girl transformation and everything. Like, can she just be a shadow hunter? Who's bigger? Like, right. Obviously she has to be able to move and like be a shadow hunter. Right. Like, uh, huh. Well, there's no, so the thing is, it's, it's that, okay, there's two parts. Yeah. I'm gonna, Sorry. And it's, no, it's okay. It's hitting on two things that you've said. Mm-hmm. Number one, as we get into the infernal devices, as the books progress. Right. Julian, yes, holds the responsibility of the Blackthorn fam- family on his shoulders. Uh-huh. But Drusilla is the one that takes care of Tabby the most. Correct. She's so the nanny. She's the nanny. So he's like, oh, I got to figure out how we're going to get groceries and and eat. And, and Tabby mm-hmm. wants Julian because right. it's like you want, you know, <laughs> it's like you want your parent to, you know, because in his eyes, like that's, you know, Julian's his parent. You yeah. want you want to have their undivided attention. But right. that's like, I'll take care of my kids all day long working from home. And then dad comes home and it's like, oh, my God, daddy. Right. You know, that doesn't mean that they don't love me or like I didn't do any work, but they just want to be up, you know. I mean, it kind of does. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Absolutely. But we see a lot. She's the one that stays behind and takes care of the kids. And in that right. aspect, she's at that transitional 
piece where it's like yeah. she's too old to get that needed one-on-one attention from Julian, mm-hmm. who's busy dealing with his Emma drama and everything else. Obviously, not just Emma drama, but, you know, Fighting running an institute army and like running fathering an institute several and, like, children you know right trying to get stuff. his sister back from exile searching right. for his brother who's missing yeah he's kind of busy yeah. he's busy right <laughs> but she doesn't have that you know so she is also in that spot where she's like she's losing her identity yeah. and and it's, it's like she has to take care of tavi okay now yeah, number she's two, coming into her own yeah yeah during during like we're She's coming into her, her own during a time where she's not allowed to be herself and, and figure herself out because she's she's got responsibilities. Uh-huh. And then second fold to that is to mm-hmm. hit the last point that you're saying. There is this. Okay. And I'm not saying it's me. Okay. Mm-hmm. By any means. I'm 33 years old. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not saying it's me. But there's this stigma that is a bigger body can't be a healthy body. Right. A bigger body can't be a body that's able to, as in our society, obviously not shut up Hunter. Oh, like Lizzo posted something that she was looking for plus size, like ballet dancers. And mm-hmm. she was trying to scout out to find plus size ballet dancers to be in this music video or do this thing on stage. And all of the comments are you physically cannot be plus size and be a ballerina. All these comments on there just like mm-hmm. that's not possible. It's impossible. Well, guess what? Right. She found people to do it that right. can do it because there's this really big misconception stereotype that a bigger body can't be a healthy body and it can't be a body that moves. So, yeah, Drusilla can still be strong. A, a right. big body can be a strong body. It can be a healthy body. She can still be strong. She can still be agile and she can still fight demons she right. doesn't need to be 80 pounds soaking wet to do that exactly exactly and that, and that's what I mean I'm like you don't have to make her super unhealthy and like like that's not what I'm talking about I'm just talking about can we just not like have everyone magically become a supermodel you, you know what I mean like well and can I we have see, more like, variation shadow hunters have angel blood I'm assuming right. most of them are attractive right yes right potentially sure Sure. but it's like you have on the one hand like I know we said we haven't seen plus size characters but it's like the inquisitor is a fat guy yeah it's like this fat old man right Malachi was like big and barrel chested right Uh uh-huh kind of like that like where you get that thing, there's this thing now where like Thor is actually probably has like a big belly and like a big chest because like that's how strong he is. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like the the strong man comparison where they're like, listen, these guys who are in these like fucking like gold gym ads, like these people like are so weak right now because they're they're thirsty, they're dehydrated, and they're starving to get the definition that you're looking for. But like these guys, you think they're fat? They're literally the strongest men in the world, right? Like, so like he has that sort like of Maui, like, exactly. So he, exactly. I, think, I feel like he has that sort of build, but he's like small. But for the most part, all of the female characters have been like they're basically elves. Right. Mm-hmm. They're like life and, you know, like Clary's short and she looks like a pixie. Like 
can we just can we have variation is what I'm is what I'm asking for. I want shadow hunters that look like Serena Williams. Uh-huh. That woman is powerful. Of course you're going to have people that look like that. Like that are super athletic and very like of course you are. So like let's have start having people that look like real humans, mm-hmm. right? Like I just but I I I'm going to throw myself under the bus here. I'm I'm an author. Now I have had variation in in the way people look and stuff, but like my first instinct is not always to make a a realistic character, right? My first in- instinct is not to make like the dad bod guy, right? Uh-huh. Like no, because I'm going to put a guy with like Gold's Gym ad like abs on the front of my book to sell my book, right? So I fall into the same like I'm 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 guilty of this too. Like I fall into the same societal like things. This is just this is certainly not blaming anyone. This is just like having a conversation and dissecting like the stuff that we do and think about that sometimes aren't in the forefront of our minds or some you know sometimes like programmed into our brains to think this way and dissecting and looking at it just helps us understand where some of those things are coming from and maybe help us do better going forward. Personally, I I feel like I need to myself write more like diverse characters in terms of like just different kinds of people, whether it's the way they look, whether it's their body type, whether it's the way they think, specifically the way they think, you know? Mm-hmm. I think those things are important and exploring those things are important. Well, and it's like when you start off with TMI, char- char- character, clarity, <laughs> to me, okay, I I know we've not been like the nicest to clarity as adults, but no, to me, haven't. it's just like, and I'm trying to put myself in her, like for the most part, she's, like I said, Jocelyn gives her a long leash, if you will, and she yeah. has to, she has to right, be relatively smart if she's able to navigate New York City and she's able to be in school and do all this stuff and and she can go to clubs at night like she has to have that level of trust and be relatively Mm -hmm. smart and so all of that critical thinking and skills kind of goes out the window she's just like oh hot guy I think this is actually a great segue into the whole TMI, Clary, I'm not like other girls prototype. Because 100%, we can fight on this. Clary is an un, I'm not like other girls kind of girl. Like, that is how she's written as this character. Uh-huh. Um, but to your point, she, I don't think she starts out that way necessarily. Because I feel like she's set up to be this, like... Like you said, self-sufficient New York kid. You would assume she's streetwise, right? They if, live in the Bronx. If your mom is okay, like right. Brooklyn, Brooklyn. Sorry, I don't know why I said that. They live in but Brooklyn. The- it's not like they're in like Upper West Side Manhattan where their chauffeur drives them. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like if your mom's okay with you walking the streets of New York anywhere, like then obviously you have to have some baser level, right? Especially a mom as paranoid as Jocelyn, who literally escaped an abusive, evil overlord 
aka your father and is in hiding like uh-huh. like if, if she's that competent and that's just situational right like that could just be plot but I'm going further expecting the author to have thought of the plot influencing the character right like I I have to look at it that way and if uh-huh. that's not the way it was intended then you know whatever but we're dissecting so the curtains are blue for a reason um <laughs> But, like, we're assuming that. So then it, it, like, all went by the wayside. And then she just became a combatant for other female characters. Mm-hmm. She doesn't like Izzy. She doesn't like uh, Maris. She doesn't like Maya. She doesn't like uh, any female. Like, every time she meets a female, she butts heads with them. Even Amatis, she was shitty to Amatis. Uh-huh. She has a really shitty relationship with every single Aline, every female. It's constant because, you, you know, Aline, she thought she was uh, trying to hit on Jace. Like, yeah, competition. She was uh-huh. like, I don't know. And Clary has a very unhealthy relationship with other women. And I think that's because she is written as the prototype. I'm not like other girls. And... The reason I think that is, is because this was written in 2007 and this is the mean girls like archetype of I'm not like other girls and I'm going to, you know what I mean? Like that during the mid to late aughts, that's how female relationships were depicted. Mm -hmm. So I could see that that would be why, like that kind of conflict that was popular. And so that's what people you know that's, that's how they reading. yeah yeah and and that's so that's what people were writing um i i'm really not a fan of of the um the female representation in tmi in relation to their interactions with each other like female mm-hmm. female interactions it felt very very flat for me in that terms um but i think it's gotten way better like specifically emma and christina Mm-hmm. Their relationship is very much built on trust and building each other up and lending a hand and, you know, Christina calling Emma on her shit when she needs to be called on it. Like that going from a, an early TMI Izzy Clary relationship and then count like w- contrasting that to a TDA Emma Christina relationship. It's like. The bad example and the good example. Well, it's know? like you don't have those same opportunities in um, the infernal devices because of like status. Jessamine is uh-huh. a giant biatch. Charlotte could be in that role, but she's supposed to be older and kind of like in charge. She yeah, and then she's Sophie's an not position. Sophie is she's an employee. She's an employee. Yeah, exactly. Everyone has a very distinct difference, so they can't be even level with each mm-hmm. other. Well, and I'm trying to think if The Last Hours has any good. Like, obviously, I think Lucy Not and... Yet. And um, I don't think Lucy and... God. Cordelia. Thank you. My kid watched Kipo and the Wonder Beasts, so I keep wanting to say Charlemagne, because it's... And I know that's dumb, but anyway... <laughs> I don't I don't think that they have a bond like Emma and Christina do. No. But I also don't well, think that's okay. I don't think they have the bond that Emma and Christina have. 
But I don't think they have the negative fighting sort of like no Izzy versus Clary sort of thing. No, but I don't think they're as close. Certainly not. No, 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 no. Yeah, no. I, I, I totally agree. Um, we've been told through narrative that Lucy and Cordelia are close, but honestly, two, eight, what, seven hundred page books in. Mm-hmm. I haven't really seen them actually have a connection, right? Mm-hmm. I don't feel like they actually really know each other at all. I well, think they're I'm childhood sorry. friends. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. No, no. I love, 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 love Anna Lightwood. Oh, yes. Can we talk about the love of my life? Well, and I think she builds up. I think that she is one of those type of people like – Obviously, inwardly in herself, she wants to punish herself by not letting her, like, put her heart out there for, like, Ariadne or or whatever. Oh, oh, there is so much. There is so much just angst. Uh Uh-huh. And I am here for it. But she, and I think she's slightly older than the Mary Thieves, right? Yeah, she's a couple years older than them. Yeah. Uh-huh. But she will genuinely, genuinely cares. If, I said she will for some reason. She <laughs> genuinely, genuinely cares about everybody. Her friends. Oh, yeah. And she, sure. I mean, she had just met Cordelia and could tell because she's been in the position before where mm-hmm. she knows Cordelia is uncomfortable with yep. what she's being placed in. Yep. She knows it. She can tell the look. The pastel Mm -hmm. whatever colors that were, like, height at the time but looked bad on her. And she's just like, let me just bulk into my fortune and buy you a new wardrobe. Well, and talk about paying it forward. Right? Exactly. We got to see see that her parents did that exact exact thing for her. They saw what was happening. And instead of trying to, like, lecture and and fix it quote unquote they just went oh i see what you need here and and it was it was like a we don't have this doesn't have to be a thing we can i can just be like i see you here you go and you can be like you see me right uh-huh and and she we got to see that in um what was it goes to the shadow market when we when she had her original her like yeah. First story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I so, will so never we, forget. We got, I was waiting yes. in line for my food at McDonald's because they had to like park because they had to make the chicken nuggets. And I was listening to that story and the lady came up with the food and I was just like, I couldn't even like see her because I'm just listening to this story. And I was like, oh, I love it. Dude, it was such a beautiful moment. And, and seeing that mirrored with Cordelia in that moment and where she was just like, I got you. Like, I'm not even going to, we're not even going to have to have this conversation. I just want you to know that I see you and I care about you and move on. And I I just, oh, it's just so good. It's Mm -hmm. just so good. And Anna makes a lot of bad decisions specifically around Ariadne. And Uh it's because hurt people hurt people. I understand. Uh I do not condone her glib, and very uncompassionate, you know, treatment of Ariadne when she was mad at her. Obviously, that wasn't okay. Uh-huh. Um, 
However, at the same time, Anna was very clear. And Ariadne was a little bit like hoping things would change. Uh-huh. But I I really like their the depiction of their relationship and how it's kind of like you know, you know, you have like the trope of like on again, off again, on again, off again, and like they never really learn from their toxic behavior, right? I I feel like their relationship is less like that and more like betrayal, you know, hurt, mm-hmm. you, you know, they, they can't be together. And so like, you know, they got to just not be a, like, just spend some time apart. And then at some point they become fuck buddies. I think that's way more realistic mm-hmm. in terms of like something that would actually happen. And then like, they're in this weird, like limbo fuck buddies space where Anna's not willing to be emotionally vulnerable again. Uh-huh with Ariadne and and then you get all that tension all that moody broody tension that I love okay I'm gonna go back and I'm really sorry but you're just making me think about no it's cool um what you said about I'm going back and I you didn't you didn't interrupt me at all I just thought of it as you were talking oh okay so the Maya Izzy Simon oh sort of love triangle thing Mm -hmm. okay okay so in TMI, the second set, mm-hmm. when Simon's mm-hmm. trying to date Maya and Izzy. Oh, yeah. But it's like the girls were mad at Simon. Right. Exactly. I think that that is actually Maya and Izzy's relationship throughout the, la- the last half of TMI is more healthy and significant than any relationship Clary had with another female throughout the entire tri- or the entire six books. Because Clary would never do that. She would be pissed at the girl. As we've seen, she, she, it happened time and time again, right? Like mm-hmm. that's her, her instinct, her instinctive action is to feel threatened by the woman in any uh-huh. situation it feels like. So, which, and it doesn't seem to me that Jocelyn is like that at all. No, I think Clary is like that because she's, because of Jocelyn. I, I think that's why, because Jocelyn was so antisocial because she was in hiding and she never told her daughter that. And Clary constantly compared herself to her mom because everybody else did because there was no one else fucking around. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's not like you'd be like, oh, you got this from your dad and you got this from your mom. Like as someone who was raised by a single mom, like all of your like every they're just like, oh, yeah, you're just like your mom. You're just like your mom. Like it's it gets beaten into you. And she. I think Clary, as we saw in the first couple books, she had a real bad like perception of herself versus her mom. And like, uh-huh. so I think because her mom was her primary, um, not aggressor, but like antagonist in her own like theater of the mind of like, she was constantly up against her mother that that then in turn turned into constantly up against all other women. Okay. But that's that's being real crazy, deep diving into the psychology of a fictional character, and I have no PhD. So right. <laughs> this is all just you know, Kristen going with the strings and the and the <laughs> the murder board, <laughs> the murder board. Uh, what about Diana? About... Oh, Diana, Diana, I love Diana. I love. Her story, 
Well, and I love, I love her because we get to, she is a point of view character. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I love her with, um, God, I can't think of his name. Gwen. I'm an idiot. Gwen. Thank you. I was going to say Gabriel because we were talking about, I just love <laughs> the fact that he makes her feel uh-huh. safe yep. and I don't, I don't know. Just the way that, that she describes scene, it. <gasps> that scene in her, like, and, oh my God. I was literal sobbing, like ugly crying as she's like explaining to him. And he's just like, I don't like, you're beautiful. I don't know. What, what are you talking about? Like, can uh-huh. we, can we, are we done? Like, I don't care. Right. Like, I just. I was like, oh, oh, like the whole time. William, stop I really liked it. Yeah. Now, I I will say one one thing I will bring up just as like an opposed side, um, whatever, is I have read on some like message boards and like Reddit strings and stuff like that, um, some people being like, I'm over like the over diversity like you know all these you know characters have you know are like fluid sexually or you know whatever like just you know people being curmudgeons right Uh uh-huh that's not even a fucking argument because there was all kinds of like stuff going on it wasn't like everybody was straight white dudes like there there Uh was stuff going on it could have been better and as the series went on I think it did get better and you know I don't care honestly like I I see your point and I I understand that like that might not be your cup of tea but like read another series like I don't I'm here for it give it all to me because guess what they're interesting stories that I haven't read before I want interesting stories like it's not like, I, I, I just, I don't know. The, these books aren't erotica, right? This uh-huh. isn't about sex. This is about relationships and complex feelings. And so, like, I it's character driven. Give me uh-huh. a story where they have a complex relationship with multiple people involved. Like, I love that. That's interesting. It's not the same old, like, boy meets girl. Boy makes girl mad. Boy and girl break up. Boy wins girl back. Like, uh-huh. it's interesting. Give me something different to think about. Well, and the way I that like you were it. talking about how, you know, the main, like, one of the main plot points in TMI is just Alec coming to terms with his own sexuality and, and navigating yeah. that. And I Which feel... Which is very much a, a product of the time it was written. Exactly. And I feel like... The same amount of care is spent on that in the dark artifices, but in a nuanced way where it's not like, uh-huh. okay, this is a problem and it's an issue and how it's like, I'm going to educate you on what this might look like if you don't know. And by mm-hmm. educating you, we're going to talk about it. And we're going to talk about it in the sense of having these two characters or three characters or these people in this book have these thoughts and feelings but it's not negative and it's not a exactly. negative connotation like it exactly. potentially could have been in TMI and then right. we've already talked about like you're saying like like I said I I guess 
you know, maybe if Magnus updates to pansexual, but Magnus mm-hmm. talks about how he is bisexual. So yeah. when we get to Matthew, we don't need to spend time on talking about what that sexuality right. looks like. It's just a part of his character and who he is. And yeah, right. they bring it up like, oh yeah, that guy like at and the his bar. parents or his parents and his friends don't like they've already had that discussion. That discussion doesn't have to be a plot point in this story because we've, is, we've covered yeah. it in TDA and we've talked exactly. about it and we've talked about what that could be. So now just it's this character's developed as that person and we right. don't need to go into the nitty gritty detail. But when we're talking yes. about something new, like yeah. let's talk about it. Like maybe, exactly. you know, somebody doesn't even know what that is. You, literally just perfectly encapsulated what I have been rambling and trying to like make into a cohesive sentence, <laughs> a cohesive string of words <laughs> for the last like 45 minutes. Come that is exactly me. what I meant. Yes. I yep. fully agree with you. You competent, beautiful person who has a working mind. <laughs> Come with me on this journey. I don't know. Oh, oh, how could we, how could we fucking talk about representation and not talk about Cordelia? Dude. So Cordelia is Persian. So at that time, um, uh, she's, her family is from um, a region in Iran. Iran? Iran? I feel like... All three of those are wrong. <laughs> the um, I'm sorry. United States West Coast accent is <laughs> telling me to say Iran. Right. But I don't think that's right. Right. I think it's Iran. But. Hold on. Hold on. I'm Googling it. I'm Googling it. God damn it. They deserve to have the name of their country fucking pronounced correctly. You've been Googled. Iran. Okay. Okay. So Google is telling me it's Iran. So Cordelia's family um, is from Iran. And so she's what we would consider Middle Eastern um, at the time. It was what uh, she's, uh, her culture is Persian. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's the first main character that isn't, a white girl, a, a white American girl, specifically, because even Tessa was American. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. So, yeah. And honestly, I mean, I like Tessa. I really do. There are parts of her personality that um, I very much relate to. But for, like, as a majority, Tessa, Emma, Clary, for me... I feel like they they're not they're not as interesting. However, I think that's on purpose because I think they're supposed to be the character that, you know, the reader is going to put themselves in, right? Like so you, I I understand like the idea of not really specifically shaping out a character like, you know, we we know what color eyes they have, we know what kind of hair they have. We sort of have a vague description, right? But like when it comes to their personality, I feel like it's not, none of them really have strong personalities that are different from one another. I feel like they're, they're just kind of 
variations of the same. Like they have quirks. I don't know. It just feels bland. Does it? Does that make sense to you? I just feel like up till Cordelia, the main characters to me felt bland. And that might be just my age and me feeling like they felt like more like kids. I feel like Cordelia feels more like an adult. Well, to me, I feel like each of the... Sh- um, okay, Clary. Let's, yeah, I'll do this very quickly. Like, like you said, we have a description of what they look like, but her entire personality is drawing. And I'm an artist, and I'm an artist, and I draw, and I draw, and I draw, and I draw, and, I draw, and I'm an artist. And Tessa's like, I like to read. I like books, 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 books. Everything to me right. is about books. And Emma's is just like, I'm going to work out and train, train and train, train and train. fight and fight and fight because yep. I'm going to get vengeance on my family. And that's their entire personality is one thing. Right. And it kind of just makes up who they are as a character. And Cordelia is, she's an empath. Mm -hmm. And so am I. So I relate to that aspect about her. So her is more like, how is this affecting this person's relationship? How, how am I doing this affecting this person and, and kind of working as like a matriarchal. I know she's not. And a caretaker. And a caretaker. caretaker. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Cordelia was the first, um, like main character, uh, fe- main female character in the Shadowhunter series that I really connected with. As like, uh, I was like, oh, because like when Tessa, yes, a little bit because of the book thing, but then I felt like, okay, but actually not because we don't like any of the same things. Like I don't like any of that crap. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I, I can understand the wanting to have a book, but, you know, that's that's about where it goes um, for me. But for Cordelia, I felt like we got more. She's more emotionally mature. Uh huh. Even though even though she still has a long way to go, there's still plenty of, of growth, emotional growth that we see from her from it, just the first two books. Uh huh. Um, but she. Again, I think it's because of the times. And I think that's why I related to Tessa more is because Tessa did act more mature than like a Clary or an Emma. Because at the time, you know, you're 16 in in Victorian Edwardian London. Like you're an adult. Like uh-huh. <laughs> act like it, you know, and, and people expect you to act like it. Um, But I don't know. Cordelia feels more. She's not as single minded like you were saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, as the other ones. I felt like Cordelia had more like complex problems and interests, you know? Uh-huh. Like, well, and you still get to on. see some of that. Um, I'm going to say the word wrong because I always pronounce it wrong. Uh, na- naivety. Like she's naive. Na- naivete. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Where it's like Alistair's been shielding her from Elias's right? dickhole alcoholism. And basically it ruined his childhood so that way Mm -hmm. she would have a peaceful one. Right. But she does still feel a lot of responsibility to take care of her mother. Uh So there is like, like she still got the maturity of like that, like child that has to be the parent to the parent, you know, scenario. Uh She got some of that without the trauma uh-huh. that Alistair got from knowing the truth of what was going on behind right. the scenes. Well, and that's like, she was able to like, she, it still obviously comes on her today and she handles it. Mm-hmm. 
appropriately with maturity and thought like she she's a thoughtful character which emma i mean emma was a little bit more i i would say clary and tessa were were more reactive characters Uh cordelia is a proactive character and emma is a tactical character so i feel like if given the right scenario emma is very thoughtful but in like personal situations i feel like she's not uh-huh. I, I think well, it's more of like if she's in a fighting scenario, yes, yeah, she's going to be very thoughtful and competent because that's what she's, you know. Well, and they had Diana to help, like, basically she's the governess, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, she's, she's basically Charlotte, but not, but uh, Julian is doing the work, the institute work. Mm-hmm. As far as, like, this form needs to be filled out and... Right. This thing needs to whatever. So it wasn't like, because to me, I was like, well, Emma lost her parents and they haven't really had an adult figure. But Diana was there. Yeah. I but mean, Diana not- was was less of a, like, like how we talked about how Charlotte was like kind of like a orphanage mother. Uh-huh. Right. Like, like so, so there's a, a little bit of that maternal stuff in, in with the, you know, like I'm taking care of these kids. Whereas I feel like Diana had her tutor role but it was expanded because she was picking up some of um arthur's slack uh-huh right but julian was doing the the like paperwork and she was just like kind of running like the the outside of like oh there's a something happens and we got to make sure like it gets mm-hmm. someone gets sent out to dispatch or whatever right so, well, like, I'm she, saying, she like... was taking on more but it was less of a mother and more of a teacher uh-huh more of like yeah. a yeah. So some of that emotional, stunted emotional stuff for Emma mm-hmm. is also the whole, her whole personality is built up on revenge and rage and, and yep. she's upset and she wants to figure out what happened to her parents and everything like that. I would be, I am very, okay, this is off topic. Yeah. But I'm very excited to figure out how her character matures coming back into the wicked powers because basically yeah. her and julian like traveled together yeah you know so i'm I'm excited to see how that her personality comes back which also them stepping back gives helen an opportunity to take yeah. on the role that she has wanted to because she's missed mm-hmm. that opportunity yeah and, and i love aline me too i didn't like her very much Obviously, because she was just kind of like a butthole to Simon and just like whatever. But like yeah. her characters like come a long way too. I think Aline was a throwaway character that uh-huh. people liked and she ended up just kind of developing into a, another character. I think I think yeah. that's I think her her roots were like just she just needed to be another person. Mm-hmm. But like and we hear. A, listen, we hear a lot about the Penhallows. Okay. We know that Magnus did a memory spell for old Penhallows. We've heard all kinds of stuff like this, that, and the other. Like, I feel like we need a Penhallow that's a little bit more in the main group. I feel like it's been a proliferary family for too long, and it's time to bring them into the fold. I want to know more about them. (laughs) Okay. I love it when you tell a joke on your phone, like it's laughing so hard, it's like knocking Okay, and I don't know if you have anything else, but as a runner note, we can't talk about equality and inclusion without talking about Ty Blackthorn. 
yeah. I and didn't even think about that. Yeah. As a parent to a neurodivergent child, mm-hmm. it is nice to have representation like that. Oh, for, for sure. Real. And it wasn't overly... I feel like it's the same thing like I was talking about where we have to kind of... She's trying to explain what autism is. Mm-hmm. And so it's like... and. Um, Kit's the source of that, where he's saying, oh, have you thought about this? Or, oh, this could be this. Oh, I right. feel this is this. And um, as we all know uh, now, anyway, autism spectrum. So it doesn't look the same or feel the same or is the same on any person. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like as a first kind of step into that, she wrote it well. And I kept saying, I, I am not a neurodivergent person in that person. I said Persian because you said <laughs> Persian person in that sense. So I can't speak on maybe, you know, maybe somebody else has a hot take on it that mm-hmm. does feel that way. But as far as like parenting a child like that, it's nice to know that, you know, there is representation. Right. Well, and I like I like the way that they didn't. <coughs> they didn't make it seem like in a world where 10 years ago Alec Lightwood had a hard time coming out as gay right in that same world that there was nobody because shadow hunters don't do that quote unquote right like right because that was the mentality to say that in that world in that society, then 10 years later, they would all be totally accepting and cool about like maybe acknowledging that someone might be neurodivergent or whatever. Like, I like that they didn't like, she didn't pretend like that was everyone's reaction. Right. Like we Uh got to see what Arthur in his own self-loathing and his own stuff like you know as as we dig deeper into like why he thought like why he was reacting like that and julian kind of being like okay look the clave isn't cool like with everything like we need to like be careful about the wordings we use and, and things like that while at the same time being so accommodating to ty and like being like oh he doesn't his headphones help him fight better. Like if that helps him fight better then like, that's what we're going to do. Like, uh-huh. why is that a thing? Why is it a problem? Why can't he just fight differently? Like everybody uh-huh. fights differently with specialized weapons and all of this stuff, you know? So we got that accepting portion, but we also got the reality of the society, the deeply flawed society that they live in. That is also at the same time, fracturing into two different sections so I like that it wasn't just like oh everyone's totally like uh, you know accepted mundane um uh you know medical diagnosis as you know right le- as like our thing right uh-huh. because shadow hunters that's their big thing is that they're different they're better they're above mundane so they can't you know whatever right they can't use mundane surgery because it's beneath them and all of you know these things but I, I, I appreciated that they put it into into a world where there was realistic adversity, but that wasn't the main focus. Mm-hmm. The main focus was this family is going to do whatever makes sense for 
this individual in this family. Well, and it wasn't the, I have to, like, there's a problem, quote, disgusting, and we're going right. to fix it to make it so you fit in better. Exactly. Like, I'm saying, I said disgusting because I don't like that. Like, that just gives me the bleh. But it's like you make reasonable accommodations, mm-hmm. you know, which, like you're saying, headphones, like, that's right. Perfect. And it's something he figured out works for him. And and I do like the little bits because specifically it's something that gets brought up is that shadow hunters don't have the language to describe, mm-hmm. you know, what makes Ty different uh-huh. and and why, you know, he's sensitive to certain sensory things and stuff like they, they just don't have the language. Right. Um, and so their ways of developing things that work for Ty and help him not necessarily assimilate as much as they feel comfortable in uh-huh. the same space. Right. Yeah, they make it. The accommodations are for Ty's benefit, not right. for their benefit. So they're comfortable with how Ty is acting. And that's right. the difference to me. Right. Yeah. Cause no, like, I, I think that's a really great point. Yeah. I love Ty. Ty's one yeah. of my favorite characters. Well, and I mean, like, my kids got lots of sensory issues. So we make accommodations that are maybe that are for his benefit, not for our benefit. Sure. You know, and if something we try it for a while and if it doesn't work, we move on to something else. But, you know, that's just like I, I liked that. That mm-hmm. was the focus on it. it was for Ty, not for people to be around Ty. Right. Which I I love that Julian as a single twelve year old dad, <laughs> like he really did the most. Uh-huh. I mean, he was actually a really good parent. Like, wow, super like accepting and thoughtful and compassionate and caring. And he was twelve. So like, what is everybody else's excuse? Because. Mm-hmm. Basically, all the other parents in these books are terrible. <laughs> Dude. Oh. oh, but maybe that's maybe that's the point, right? Maybe I mean, you know, being jaded by the world before you have kids, whereas before, like you know, when you're twelve, love is love. Maybe that's maybe that's why he was able to be brought back from being a nephilim. Is because his his love was so pure and childlike. Uh huh. <laughs> he got tried in as as a child instead of as an adult. Right. <laughs> oh fuck. <laughs> That's bad. Oh, who else? Do we have anything else to talk about? I mean, we could go on and on and on and on. Episodes. Gotta I feel end like at we could. Point. Can we just can we just circle back to Anna real quick? Of course. Because I know we love Anna so much. I feel like I was expecting a lot more Anna Lightwood in Chain of Iron than I got. I was expecting a lot more in Chain of Gold. Like, especially, okay, here's the thing. Setting her up as having her own story in Ghost of the Shadow Market. I know. As I'm like, dude, she's a power player, right? I'm like, she fucked Virginia Woolf. Okay? Like, can we just... Anna Lightwood, paramour connoisseur, like had an affair with Virginia Woolf. How amazing is that? Anyway, sorry. I love it. Um, I don't. Same thing with like Matthew. 
which I guess Matthew was in it a lot more than Anna yeah. is. And I understand Anna's older than the main characters, but like, come on. She should just be part of the group. I feel like she should. She's just so interesting. Like she has such a, but I think that's part of the reason why she's not in it a lot is because there's so much mystique and mystery around mm-hmm. Anna that I feel like if you got too much of her, then like you'd know everything about her. Like mm-hmm. the whole, it's you leave them wanting more. Like that's her whole vibe. So of course in the narrative, that would make sense. Yep. But I, I really like the way the last hours is set up to where pretty much right now, everyone kind of has their own space. Like they're much more like in their twenties feeling uh-huh. like, like how a modern day, like young, uh, 20 something adults in their own apartments for the first time like this that's the vibe that I get from the last hours group even though they're uh-huh. most of them are 17 and you know whatever but they're getting married and shit so mm-hmm. uh, which is also delicious to watch there oh okay I I do have one more point before before we go I want to talk about Sophie and Cecily um because I feel like Sophie and Cecily both had a lot of potential. I feel like Sophie achieved more of her more of her potential than Cecily did. I do feel like Cecily was I feel like we got shortchanged. I feel like Cecily was meant to be a much more important character and we didn't get enough from her. And then now that we're in the last hours, I like I'm waiting for Sophie and Cecily to like show up and show their personalities. But they just they feel like um, when they do show up, almost like a Charlie Brown adults. Right. Uh-huh. Like they're all just kind of like they say the same thing and they're not like their personalities aren't showing. Like they're, they're just parent. Yeah. 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 Well, same thing know. with Gideon and Gabriel, too. Yeah. No. Yeah, for sure. We don't get a lot. I don't know. I just want I think them the to character be that has the most pages long <laughs> is Will as a parent. Yes, yes, he has mo- the most personality, and I, I, I think the reason why I, I get so annoyed with Will in uh, the Infernal Devices is that because I love adult Will. Uh-huh. Like adult Will is fully realized Will and he's amazing, but young Will was a dick. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yep. Like we know you can do better than this. I have proof. I have receipts. Right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, I feel like we covered a lot of bases. Obviously this discussion started one way and quickly like just kind of spiraled. And I kind of really like the way that these are kind of, I said organic 400 times. Yeah. These are organically playing out um, in just like a real life discussion. So as, as we said last week, if you guys have uh, comments on what we discussed today, um, Leave them in, uh, you know, DM us, email us, do whatever. Um, and we will discuss it next time. Uh, and then for next week's episode, that's fine. Um, okay, that's what I wanted to say. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> we obviously touched on the surface of everything. So if we didn't get to something that's super, super important to you, 
It's not necessarily because it might not be important to us. It's just our timer for how long we've been talking is about at three hours now, which obviously you won't have three hours worth of stuff, but we we have to end at some point. So just because we we didn't touch on it doesn't mean it's not important, but please send us the messages. Yes. And and we've been, we've been kind of all over the map and some stuff uh, we were interrupted and, and things like that. So things will be sliced up. So if we miss something that was, particularly important to you please write us about it so we can talk about it next week um Mm because we don't want to really leave any stone unturned oh uh, that's kind of like our mo like we want we want to dig into everything so if there's anything we forgot to mention in our like chaotic deliria then (laughs) let us know and we'll totally discuss it yeah and then for next week we Okay. We also got a um, a post on our um, Downward or Dish Facebook group that was some theories on what's going to happen in Chain of Thorns for the last hours. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to start with that for next week as one of the fan theories that we've been provided. So send us your theories also if you'd like to do that. And yeah, otherwise, ne- we'll we'll kind of dig through the Tumblr, Reddit. sort of things to talk about some of the theories and then what we think on that but also send us your theories and kind of like you know a little piece about it and we'll read it on air next week yeah next week's theme is theories and not just for chain of thorns um also for the wicked powers like any shadow hunter theories that you have no matter how wild no matter how crazy send or even just headcanon you're like headcanon for yeah. in between this book and this book, I think this happened. Just let us know. Give us all of your Let's dirt. just talk about it. Let's do it. <laughs> all right. I'm going to insert Amanda's voice right here. For behind the scenes content and the latest updates, check us out on Instagram at Downworld or Dish Podcast. We'll see you next time. Bye. Okay, bye.